I don't know if I pushed the right buttons. If I push the shoot, hold on. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is an Andy Vlogs production in association with All Games Played. You are listening to Mom is talking. Nice. Okay. All right. I can't believe we've done it. It is episode two. We're back. Wow, there's a lot of you guys that uh, really liked that first episode. <laughs> or uh, didn't like it. Or didn't like it. Well, no one commented, so I guess people liked it. But, um, well, people messaged me. So. People messaged you? Okay, we're going to bring... I, I haven't heard anything from anyone. No one said anything to me, except for what was on that that page so i want to hear what people said to you not no now. not now <laughs> no that's what this is about <laughs> whoa she's keeping some things from me now wow i have to adjust this mic so sorry about that okay um well today we're going to be talking about parenting we're going to talk about more of our biological imperatives men and women the differences between the two uh but first this week was Mother's Day. So before we jump into it, my name is Andy. I am our, uh, not host, but producer. But we have here our host. You're the okay. host. Oh, you're the host. You're the host. Well, you're my co-host then. I'll just, okay. Evie doesn't want to sit up. <laughs> so she's sitting back. I never want to sit up. <laughs> This is how I would always eat dinner in high school. And my dad would be like, put your leg down. I'm like, I don't want to. Okay. I understand. <laughs> you can keep it up. But before we get ahead of ourselves, you are watching. Shh, mom is talking. Gosh, I got it. Happy Mother's Day, mothers out there. You guys are amazing. Thanks so much. Evie, my wife, you're amazing as well. What did I... Uh... <laughs> I don't think they can hear that. I don't think they could hear that. <laughs> okay. But uh, so, what did you get for Mother's Day? From you? Yeah. <laughs> nothing. What do you mean nothing? What did you get me? What did I give you? Nothing. I gave you something. <laughs> do I have to spill it out? I don't see it. <laughs> my kids. Two of my kids gave me a Mother's Day card. What did you give me? What do you think I gave you? I don't know. What do you think? What I think I gave you? I mean, <laughs> you gave me. My wife has an addiction and she thinks she's entitled to her addiction. You can't so. move it too much. Now we're blurry. We're blurry? Well, well keep thinking about what <laughs> I might have given you. Oh, so oh. there has to be a reason like this. Okay, it's fine now. A holiday for you to buy me this? No. Keep going. When did we, when did we, we, I, Andy helped me book a flight, um, to go down to LA with Eleanor, um, just the other day. So I guess that was my mother's day present. I guess. 
Man. You stepped on your trash. This is the difference between men and women. <laughs> in real time, boys and girls. Just like our anniversary and just like my birthday almost every year. It's like 8 o'clock at night and it's like, oh, it's our anniversary. Oh, it's your birthday. Happy birthday. I didn't even get I remember a, a little lot of things card. distinctly. It was Mother's Day morning and you said... You presented to me the flights. No, Disneyland. we booked this like on Wednesday. And I said, just do it. I, I'll show you right now. We booked the flight I know, on we Wednesday. It on Wednesday because of uh, complications, but the like the decision to actually let you go was on Mother's Day. Oh, I don't remember. Okay, I'm making faces, and people on the podcast who don't have the video can't see my faces that I made. JetBlue booking confirmation. <sighs> we did it on... What is this? This is... You're too dark. May 11th. Was that Mother's Day? No, it was not. Mother's you. Day was the 8th. Yeah, this I said Wednesday. It was Wednesday. I know. It was on Wednesday because we had confirmation. Next question. With it. Next question. Okay, so um, I want to talk about a few things uh, regarding the Mother's Day and uh, a few things that we've uh, learned from our moms and uh, some things that we've carried on into our parenting that, are, uh, that our parents have, uh, or at least our moms have taught us. So that was something I wanted to, and, and you know, in the second episode, I wanted to honor uh, my mom and I wanted to. You know, hoping that you would honor your mom, and then I honor you because you're an awesome person. You're amazing. So, with that said, I'm going to go first because I know it may take you a second to think about it. So, spend a second, Emmy, to think about um, one or two things that your mom did while you grew up that you remember, that you liked. <laughs> whatever saying, whatever mantra, whatever perspective, or, you know, I don't know, a little thing that, that, that she did. Um... And then we'll share. So mm. for me, um, there's always been this selfless, caring uh, mentality that, that my mom always brought to us. It was always like, now I don't know, she'll never admit it. And maybe she won't ever admit it, but I'll probably talk to her about this. But she always cared about the dumbest things that I ever talked to her about. She always listening. That was, that was huge. It was a listening ear. You know, I come up to mom and... I would tell a story and I would say things that she didn't necessarily care about, understand, or think about, but she was always engaged and she would always have those types of like comments that were engaging, like, oh yeah, oh no way, oh that's horrible. You know, it made you feel special. It made you feel like you were cared. And I think maybe for boys that was more important to have that strong female figure because of, you know, the world that you have to go into and fight you need to have someone back at home who supports you and not having that as a, as a guy as a kid growing up and into my adulthood is super important so that's one thing I really appreciate about mom that uh, that I've tried to carry on with the kids you know is that when something really matters to you know your son your daughter you actually take a second and give them your undivided attention and so that's something that I really appreciate about my mom uh, I was helping my brother out earlier this week. Um, he needed some help moving some rocks. And so we took two of the boys over and, uh, man, I don't know how many times I said some of these mantras that 
mom would always say growing up because kids would argue, they would complain, you know, and it's, it's interesting how there is, you know, how you carry down some of these things. So I think mm -hmm. grandma, my mom's mom used to always say many hands make work light. And, uh, it, you know, we got, when we got there to my brother's house, there was a huge mound. It was like 9,000 pounds with the rocks and Ugh. it was daunting. And all the kids were complaining, Oh, it's going to be so hard. How are we going to do this? And you know, my brother and I kept saying over and over, you know, many hands make work light. And that was always something that, that mom would say. And I, and I think it was something that her mom said. So it's <laughs> fun that we carried that over. And then sounds right. two wrongs don't make a right, but three wrongs make everything better. Something that mom, isn't that what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The first part's what mom said. <laughs> Where did you get the other half of that? <laughs> I'm just joking. No, two wrongs never make a right. And that was something that we said. So those are a couple of things that mom, you know, I really appreciate and love you for that I think have helped in parenting because they're really good, you know, mantras, but they're also something that, that you carry from your family and building a tradition of culture within your family is super important and uh those are a few things that i think are super important so what about you abby what are a few things that uh your mom might have said said or done or, or well attributes or whatever i i feel like my mom and mom you can probably correct me but i feel like she worked like every day when i was little <clears throat> like elementary school little but I remember her always being there. Like she was still there. I mean, there were times in the morning when my dad was gone and my mom was gone and we would have to like get ready for school on our own and get to school on our own. But she was always there. And like making sure that... From the time that you left school to the time that you came back? Or like, yeah, she was either home when we left or she was home when we got back. When we got back, there was like food. <laughs> usually soup maybe waiting for us when we got back. That's great. And just making sure that, you know, we were always taken care of. Maybe the, sometimes there would be like a new outfit or two like laid out on our bed when we would get home from school. And the best presents were new Disney videos that were laid on oh, our bed next so to our clothes. That's so adorable. On VHS. <laughs> No, just always kind of feeling that she was there is what I want to pass on to our kids. Cool. Your That's mom great. was always home, right? Yeah, she she never worked. She but she was involved home. in like PTA and like Yeah, like I remember my mom and... being there for like concert things or like when we had act like cuz in 5th grade, I think, you learn about the California Gold Rush and we like dressed up as like pioneers and we had a the classroom Cool. in california all the classrooms so it's like all outdoors right and right outside each classroom there would be um like one or two of those picnic benches and somehow this teacher would turn that picnic bench into like a big covered wagon oh that's really cool and really, really cool. um like fake gold would be hidden like throughout that. the whole playground and like parents can come to that and i was in this classroom for two years because she did fourth grade and fifth grade wow you had the same teacher yeah wow that's yeah it was cool. weird but um like I, that's just one thing i remember my mom being at and like i said like all those concerts and stuff that's great 
Great. Well, we love you, Mom. We love you, Granny, Nana. So, with that said, uh, I wanted to transition into kind of the main uh, point of today's uh, podcast, and that's about parenting. What the heck? Right? Parenting, uh, honestly, is not easy. There's no real rule book for it. There's a lot of literature, though. Um, and this was actually something that I was interested in pursuing when uh, when I was in college. I was thinking about being a teacher, so understanding how to teach kids and, and uh, you know, the psychology behind it was something that was interesting to me. And so I pursued it and took a, a number of classes. So, um, you know, in that sphere of science, there are different parenting styles. And there's one of them that, you know, recently in the Atlantic, I think it's the Atlantic I read, um, a very, very common parenting style in America or Western uh, nations is actually turning out to be not so helpful or at least from a developmental standpoint, um, isn't the best way to actually raise children. And, and we'll get to that. But what I'd like to do here is kind of talk about a few, you know, different parenting styles or different uh, methods that we took this week for, you know, teaching a or parenting an 11 year old as opposed to teaching a two year old, almost a three year old. And so, um, Evie, I'll give you a second here to think about it. But uh, I wanted to talk about, you know, whether or not the way that we're parenting these these kids is the right way, because I firmly believe that we should parent a kid based on the kid and it shouldn't be equal. There shouldn't be an, an equal or, or a quality of parenting in the household because everyone's different. Mm-hmm. Everyone plays different roles. And uh, I think those are super important to a cohesive family, um, you know, unit. But what I'm saying is like, for one kid, you don't like yell at them, right? You don't, you know, you don't promote negativity and then the other is positivity. No, but I think the way that you speak to them or you talk to them, you, you take a different approach. And so I'm going to give a couple of examples here and, uh, and, you know, hopefully by then you can give your example. So I'm actually going to move here because I'm going to get a little bit closer and hopefully you can get a little bit closer because the light behind us is kind of hot. There we go. If we block out that light right there, it makes our faces a little bit lighter. So Anyway, um, what I was saying here is, so Eleanor, (laughs) this could be bad. I could be corrected, but um, I've treated her very, very differently than the boys. So Eleanor is my crown jewel. I always call her that. She's, um, you know, it it could be because I didn't have a daughter or a sister growing up. And, uh, you know being around a girl now for as much time as I have (laughs) at at this age is something that I've never experienced. And so any instance where there is, um, conflict, I will always, uh, I won't swoop in, but I will always take her side. So this, (laughs) this could be bad. (laughs) You are right. (laughs) You hit your brother in the face. You are right, Eleanor. <laughs> no, I she don't... goes like this to Doherty sometimes, and just. No, I, I, uh, I don't necessarily say that that is good. I'll, I'll definitely, um, you know, provide her some, some feedback. And this died. My Nicholas button. is here. My button died. Is it not? Oh, 
button, button. Sticks. Drop the button. Okay, there we go. Why would I move to... Okay, maybe we'll leave it here until I can fix this. So, um, so yeah, when, when there's conflict, because she's the youngest, it's easy for the boys to gang up on her. So, obviously, I want to be there to protect her. But there's I think there's a little bit more to it because what I'm trying to do, I think, in the long term is help provide her a good idea of what a masculine man should represent and uh you know i don't like the idea or that that i want my kids to i don't really tolerate the idea that you can treat girls like you would treat your brother boys mm -hmm. you should treat them different even though when they play and they goof um you know she'll try to be as rough and tumble as they are she's gonna be a tomboy for sure mm -hmm. but um you know helping her embrace her femininity i think is super important this is where it might be controversial because there's a lot of you know there's ideas out there that men and women are the same and they should be treated the same and i don't necessarily agree i don't agree and i won't go into that per se but um yeah there was a conflict within the family uh you know eleanor slided one of the brothers and uh and i said give eleanor everything give her everything and uh i base that off of the idea that uh, in my opinion, I think little girls, their discretion, their choice making, I think is, is somewhat more pure than what boys are, at least in my estimation. And this, this could be totally anecdotal, but she doesn't try to lie. She doesn't try to steal. She doesn't try to, you know, make it unfair. You know, obviously she's nihilist where she's self-centered, but she is way more privy to share with the boys than to take away with, from the boys. And so when the boys have something that she wants, I always want to make it apparent that you should share no matter if it's yours or not. Mm -hmm. That's kind of my, my, I don't know, my motivation behind that. What do you think, Evie? When there's a conflict with the boys, especially with Theodore and Eleanor, because they're the closest in age, how do you deal with their conflict? Mm, I guess I'm also like Theodore, just leave her alone. And I leave it at that. But with Eleanor, I I'm a, I feel like I talk to her a little bit more than just, hey, stop. I'm like, well, what happened? Why did your brother do that? Why did you do that to your brother? You can't do that to your brother because something else. But I catch myself saying that too when it's like Tono against Doherty. Kind of like trying to figure out like checklists like who did what? Why did you do that? What did he do back to you? But yeah, because I guess we're boys, both we're both I guess trying to stand up for Eleanor. Yeah, because the boys the are, are are starting to become self centered, nihilistic, and self selfish. Mm. And when they fight, they internally, you know, they don't they don't I don't I don't think they premeditate it, but they are self interested. So when they're playing basketball, they always want to win. They always want to like score over each other. And they like that feeling of competition. Eleanor's not like that. And so I'm not going to treat the boys the same. If there's a conflict, I'm always going to rule on the side of Eleanor. Because, you know, historically, the boys have been on, you know, they, they have been, um, they have purposely treated her poorly because of this, that, and the other. But if Eleanor really messes with them and made someone cry because she really hurt them, 
but she won't go up to them and just fight them. You know? It's usually when they're play fighting or... Then she'll say, let's fight. But... She'll say, let's fight. Yeah, that's like just play and pretend. But there are some times when Doherty's just watching TV. And Eleanor, like, wants to play. And so maybe this is her way of trying to get his attention. Yeah. That I, she'll, I like, true. pinch him or scratch him because she's trying to play. She wants, yeah. And they're not yeah, wanting I to. That. I think... When it comes to attention, girls, they seek for that affirmation. This thing is not bending. They seek for that affirmation, that, that confirmation more than boys. But boys always say, Mom, look, Mom, look, Mom, look. I don't know. I think it's, I, I think it's <laughs> well, just When my dad was children. here, Eleanor was like, Grandpa, look at me. <laughs> she was just yeah. like, it was like Mad TV. <laughs> she, where he's like, hey, look. <laughs> or what does he say? What does Stuart... And then Eleanor literally just like jumped in place. Uh, and I was like, yeah, Eleanor. <laughs> my grandpa uh, or my dad was like, yeah, good job. Yeah. <laughs> so you obviously have to take a different approach um, cute. when it comes to each kid. And that hiccuped. I hope, darn it. Uh-huh. hope that doesn't hold. Do weird. Okay. So yeah, so each approach is different. And, and it's because, you know, I'm very observant with the kids. Like Antonio... Man, that kid. I always treat him like my parenting style with that kid is so much more harsh than the others. Um, Nicholas, he's... Middle child. Middle, middle child. Yeah, he's got the middle child syndrome. But he's he's at this point where he wants to impress people, right? Tono? He's, he's gotten, yeah. He's gotten a little bit of, um, of talent when it comes to certain things that he likes. And he wants to show it off. And he wants to be able to have that dopamine you know, chemical reaction when he does something good um, in front of others. He, he has that. He has that competitive nature. And so mm-hmm. Theodore isn't necessary. Theodore's usually on the defense. And so I treat them so much more different. When, when Antonio causes someone to cry, I know that it's premeditated. He does it because he wants to show his, his you know, his strength or something, whatever he's trying to do. Um, but normally when he's not in that competitive nature, he's such a sweet kid and I, I, am hands off with him. And so I will treat him so much more harsh, um, than, you know, I would treat someone else. Nicholas is absolutely not like that. He's at this point where he's so independent. He knows the rules. He has broken the rules in the past and he knows how it makes him feel. He knows how dad reacts and mom reacts. Oh no, he'll just look at me. Like, I forgot what it was the other day. I think I was in the kitchen. I was somewhere upstairs. And I think I was looking down or I looked annoyed or something. And then Nicholas, like, okay, come on, you guys. All right, uh, you go, you know, you yeah. go clean that. You go do that. Yeah. He, he, and sometimes he'll be like, you know, mom's tired or mom, whatever. So and he that's definitely. That's amazing about Nick. And I let Nick. I well, he's, games. he's the oldest child. He, well, he's he the knows. oldest child, but he gets stuff done. And I don't need to do much. I, like, the rule is we don't play games. But if I catch him playing games, I'm not going to get upset. Because I know he does his reading. He cleans his room. He gets everything done. And he's our star, like, scholar. And he, really, for him, there's nothing else to do besides drawing, reading, and playing games. Yeah. I mean, he's he a, should probably start practicing the piano again. It's been a while. Yeah, I need to get him back into that, but... Once the summer starts, I think. He, I mean, yeah. that's the thing is this parenting style that I want to talk about here that we'll start to introduce um, is a little bit about that. It's like it's like parents, 
the idea here, it's called intense parenting. It's also known as helicopter parenting, but it's this idea where you are trying to impose your, you know, what your ideal child is on them. And it also has a, a few other things. So I wanted to read this here real quick. So in this article, it talks about some studies from some psychologists. And uh, if you want, I can put the thing down in the, in the description. But um, what intense parenting means is supervised, enriching playtime, frequent conversations about thoughts and feelings, patient, well-reasoned explanations of household rules, and extracurricular colon, lots and lots of extracurriculars. Um, it goes on to say that um, that yeah, so so that's that's the basic uh, definition of this. So it's like helicopter parenting. It's like you you have a super regimented schedule. Everything needs to go on track. You make sure that there's lots of extracurricular time and you supervise and you're there for every aspect of that child's um, day. I thought helicopter parenting was just making sure they don't get hurt. Well, that, that's a part of it. That's a part of it. It talks about, um, um, in here it says, I'm going to read a little bit more. It says, relating to like the socioeconomic status of the family, if inequality is very high, meaning that means from the parent's perspective, it becomes more important for the kids to not be feel left behind. So if if in the it's kind of like a subconscious thing. It's like if the parents see that the community that you're in or in the school that your 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 children are in, if there's a lot of inequality, subconsciously they're thinking that it's lower quality or poor uh, education that they're receiving. So then they become way more like into that child's life. So it goes on to say, and so parents will assume a parenting style that is more intense and that is more success oriented. Middle-class parents engage in a more intense parenting style while lower income counterparts have more of a hands-off approach. So you see that where you've got your kids that are, that are in all of these extracurriculars, you have them in dance, you have them in piano, you have them in singing, they're joining, you know, That's all the little stuff. things every week at the library. You take them to the gym with you. You know, you have this, you know, teacher mama situation where like you're the teacher and you're sitting there and you're saying, okay, so how do you feel about this? And, and you're like over, I don't know, you're over scrutinizing little behaviors that happen or maybe you overreact to um, situations where the children may be more emotional or not. So that, that's my, at least my understanding after reading this article of what an intense parenting style is. I'm still confused. Um, I think the, uh, the opposite of this would be a hands-off, more of a, uh, what do they call that, free-range child parenting approach. Mm. What's nice here is in Utah, there are laws, um, you know, supporting free-range children, meaning that um, you can't get in trouble if you let your kids walk around, you know, at young ages. Mm. Whereas in some, some areas of the country, you know, you can't, you have to be supervised. You can't let your kids out or else, you know, it could be considered loitering or, or whatever. Trust, I don't know if it's trespassing, but there's a lot of stories that I've read where, uh, you know, parents have had uh, child protective services call them in when their kids have just been out in the park unsupervised. How old were you when you went to like a store without your parents? 
uh, I think I was like in the fifth grade, fourth grade. When I started skateboarding, I would skateboard to the store. I would go down the hill, mm-hmm. past the temple, and I would go down to either, you know, Shopco, Food for Less, or I'd go into BYU, and I was in like the fourth or fifth grade. I, I had to have been in like the first or second grade when I would yeah. walk to 7-Eleven with Gabby and Lucy. Yeah. Now, where I lived, um, it, it, was, it, it was quite a, a distance to be able to get to the nearest store. Mm. Um, cause it was the, you know, the suburb that, that we're in, or at least not suburb, but like the neighborhood that we're in, it, the closest store was like a couple miles. But you know, when you're in a, a higher, you know, more densely populated, uh, neighborhood, you, you've got those corner stores that are really fun that you go to. But you're saying that when you were like in the first grade, you'd go. Yeah. It was probably like, was it like once in a while or was it regular? Like you do it all the time. Well, I feel like we went all the time. It was probably like a good one, two, three, four, five blocks away. <laughs> I guess not too far. So what do you think? um, I mean, if you think about it here, put it into perspective. So if you've got a kid who's, you know, got all of their time regimented, you know, they wake up, they've got their their morning regiment. Then you've got mom, you know, mom or dad, whoever's taking care of them or nanny, you know, has them do from, you know, 10 o'clock to noon, you know, some art, right? That's your, you go into art on Mondays and art is like, you have, you know, you pull out their playroom, they've got their art, blah, blah, blah. You're watching them. Okay. It's 12 o'clock. Let's go eat. You know, you're hovering over them eating, making sure that they eat. So it's not good to have a schedule. Well, I'm just putting into perspective here, two different points of view. So, and this is the way that I see it. The helicopter parent, intense parents We're like, you're heavily supervising everything. Mm. You're making sure that they're, you know, when they draw a circle or a squiggle, then you stop them and say, okay, what did that make you feel? This is the extreme. Okay. How yeah. That sounds why extreme. Did you, why did you do it this way? Um, uh, but there's, there's like a spec, you could say there's a spectrum of this, but you know, giving the extremes might be helpful to paint this picture. So then, you know, they eat, they eat lunch, you know, you have to eat every single thing. You're not getting out of your car, your, your chair, your seat until you finish eating all your food. You know, there's these demands, these rules, um, you know, then, okay, after lunch, we're going to go to the library and we're going to book, book club. And then after book club, we're going to go to our gymnastics. And while you're in gymnastics, mom's going to go to the gym, you know, and then dinner time, dad's going to come home and then, you know, then it's piano, then it's okay. this, then it's that. I don't see a problem in any of that. But if you're saying that while the parents are doing this with their kids and they are like criticizing and pointing out just every single little thing that these kids are doing wrong is it wrong only that they're pointing out or good things and bad things that the parents are pointing out throughout their daily schedule none of these these things that they're doing like these activities that they're doing is bad it's these the heavily supervised parenting style where mom and dad are there every moment of the time to make sure that the kids don't fail or to make sure the kids do it the way that mom does it. That's what I'm saying is the parenting style. Okay. So if I were those two hours that Eleanor loves to play Play-Doh and sand some days, usually between like 10 and noon, if I were to sit next to her every time and be like, that's not how you roll it out or. Or if you were, if you were, you know, making sure that she didn't drop it anytime. <laughs> oh, you're dropping it again. <coughs> or, you know, if you don't listen to me, if you don't, why did you look at me? 
I had one more sneeze. You're so nice. Okay. I don't know anyone that's like that. I don't. I, I'm just saying this is the extreme, but there's plenty of parents. Like, this is the most common parenting <laughs> style. Yeah, so. I, I'm giving a very, very extreme um, to, to, to paint my picture because the very extreme is obviously no one's doing like that. Mm. But, but there are parents out there because this is very common who do this, who oversee everything and they, they make sure that they're. Like, and why do they do that? Is it because they were like that? I don't know. They were you little? tell me. What do you think it is? I, I think I know what it is. I, I, at least I have some suspicion. Sounds very suspicious. No, I want you to... Uh, why, why are people... Hold on. Why are That's people... from Ratatouille when the chef says... But he says suspicious weird. So why, why are parents parenting like this? Why do you think? Because they want their kids to be perfect. That could be true. And but, but elaborate more. I mean, every every parent wants. They their want them to, to be super. Yeah, that's that's what they want. I feel like if parents are like that, then like the long like like goal ahead, I guess, is for them to be like Ivy League or something like number one in everything. That's probably why they do it. Well, I'm here to tell you that science states that it's bad. It's bad. It's causing children to be de depressed. Okay, this is what it says. Many children surely benefit from being raised like this. This is talking about uh, free range. Concerted uh, cultivation conserve that. Uh, hold on. Concerted cultivation conserve them well later in life, teaching them how to manage their time and assert their individuality. But heavily involved parenting can at the same time stunt kids' sense of self-reliance and overcommitted after-school schedules can leave them exhausted. Yeah. Also, there is some evidence that parents who overdo it increase the risk of their children growing up to be depressed and less satisfied with life. And on the parent's side, an intense ideal can lead parents, particularly mothers, to fear that they aren't doing enough to get their child's, uh, to give their child the best future possible. Yeah, yeah, maybe they didn't have a good childhood or the best mm -hmm. life, and the only way for them to make sure that their kid gets like that, it gets that, is you know, by pushing them to do everything and to do it all perfectly. Yeah, I think you. I think you've got definitely a point there. Is that? I mean, because I want to push our kids, but I want to do it in a way that won't make them go crazy like yeah. nicholas sometimes when he feels overwhelmed like we can we see it he tells us we back off yeah it's because we've let him discover what that threshold is mm -hmm. um so i think that's super duper interesting so you think a, a parent's sense of like perfection or at least giving the children the best future is, is kind of the premise that they base on. And I, I think you're right. Yeah. That's what this, this author says mm -hmm. based on what they read. Maybe they don't know that they're pushing them too hard. I absolutely think they do. Like but, those, I hit you because I love you yeah, type things. Be. Yeah. Not necessarily mm -hmm. hate you, but I do this, you know, the tough love kind of a thing. Yeah. But um, 
I, I think it's a couple of things. This ideology has, uh, I think it's been perpetuated, if I can get there. I think this has been perpetuated because of the change in our culture and society. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not that these changes are bad. I disagree with them. As you guys know, I have lots of opinions. But I think there's a few things. One, neighborhoods are becoming less communal. Mm-hmm. Neighborhoods have less sense of a community now more than ever. Mm-hmm. Meaning, people don't know their neighbors. People don't know who's across the street. People have never talked to anyone around them. Right. There's this sense of... Um, individuality separation when you're living in real life in your neighborhood and people are gaining more of a community online through online groups people that they follow um, you know entertainment that they consume that's where they're getting the sense of community where they're interacting with the entertainment that they're watching well not just the entertainment but like you could easily live in a neighborhood with a bunch of old people and you're the only young family so you're going to have to go out and go on these groups online or go somewhere. What I'm saying is people don't even try to meet their neighbors. Okay, That's so, the problem. Yeah, so then just my, leave it at that. People just don't want to talk to other people yeah. and their neighbors. So that's leading to this idea of A, so that's one thing. They're, they're, they don't see any other method of rearing children because they're not interacting with other peers that raise children, whether mm-hmm. they are older who could tell them this is how i raise my kids they only see their perspective and their perspective is is whatever they see and they consume right you just admitted to it earlier that there was someone there was a a blogger that you watched that told you about this method that they use that's how you consume that you get ideas for teaching parents it wasn't necessarily hanging out with the neighbors per se but i'm not saying that it's bad or good i'm just saying that some of the news or information you get is from others that, uh, that you know. So we're, we're disconnected. We're no longer uh, in a community. Okay. I wouldn't say that's the case here because we are heavily involved in our church and we know our neighbors. Yeah. We know our neighborhood. So we're absolutely outside of it. That's why I think our children are different. Our children don't have depression. Our children don't have these issues that have um, arised in their teenage years because of whatever so a less less communal we're, we don't know our neighbors the second thing is i think a two-parent household a two-parent income household has absolutely led to this because mom is now working and she's not primarily raising her children mm-hmm. and the majority of, of women are you know nurturing their children and teaching them day to day regardless of how much time right the majority of them are going to be and so i can totally see where parents especially mothers have this sense of not giving their children enough to succeed that's where it's coming from because they're now pushing what expectations are on them like what they gave on themselves to go you know be a go-getter go you know get uh, a career get, get a degree or whatever they're expecting that on their children, again, which isn't bad, but it's also caused because they're living in that situation, they don't have time to be with their children all the time. Right. And so anytime they are with their kids, they over um, schedule them. Oh. And third, 
Kids don't roam neighborhoods anymore. There, in some communities, there is active legislation to prevent children from free roaming their neighborhood. So and, if and, they don't roam around, they don't meet new friends? No. And those new friends, their parents don't get introduced to each other? If you're you overscheduling your children in, in regimented like classroom settings all the time, whether it's sending them to daycare, whether it's putting them into these extracurricular activities, mm -hmm. and they're not able to uh, independently choose their own time, they're not they they are independently choose who they roam with and explore. It'll absolutely stunt them. But absolutely. they're still in that group setting where they meet new friends, and then the parents are there to drop them off or pick them up, and they meet each other there. But they didn't choose it. That's the difference. But they still become friends, and then you—they're, I guess, not their your neighbor, but they the parents still find a new adult friend. That's true. That's that's better of an outcome for for adults than kids. But the kids are friends too. I know, but and they, they only both see them one time a day. I, well, a then they might become friends and see each other more. But what I'm talking about is is children who live near each other go out like we let our kids do for three or four hours unsupervised. Mm. It is so healthy. Those kids are learning and growing. They're learning where the edge is. They're learning within their own peers. And this is backed by uh, uh, tons of uh, ha family health science. So that when you, when you create these boundaries that, that are very malleable, kids will, will, will group together, create hierarchies, and they will learn how to socialize and interact with each other. If you send a child to a, um, a classroom where it's very regimented, it's a very lit, finite time, and you pull, out, pull them out of that, and it's irregular, that doesn't help. Because they're not, they're not exploring, they're not learning from them. They're, they're being heavily supervised by their parents. Does that make sense? Kind of, but it's kind of, so then you want your kids to not be an extracurricular so they can be free outside and learn and grow a certain way, or you can have your kids in extracurricular activities and learn and grow in a different way. So I see good in both. I don't see the problem in that. The problem is what, what this article said. Children are more like children who are in that parenting style, like their parents use the intense parenting style, are more likely to be stunted in, okay. their, adult, in their teenage years. So think about and be more likely to have <clears throat> depression. Think of Nicholas then, and then think of Tono and Doherty. Tono and Doherty, Nicholas, completely different. That's that's fine. So then, what should we do? Nicholas isn't meeting and playing with other friends like Tono and Doherty are. Oh, he absolutely is. Nicholas he has so so Nicholas ever since we moved here Nicholas has been putting his feelers out he used to run around and go in the the what is it called the the field and walk around and do things and then the fact that he's come home and spent a lot more time at home yeah. has been entirely his own decision and it hasn't been because of external forces saying Nicholas we don't accept you in our group he has had the ex exploration. He has had the 
opportunity to put his fears out there, to meet people, to see his external forces, and then realize, I don't necessarily want to do that all the time. He, he, he'll go out, he'll exercise, and then he'll come back in. And he is completely independent, and he chooses whatever he does. And it's up to him. He comes home and he'll read. But he's not going outside and exploring and making new friends like you. He did. He did. Well, he doesn't do that all the time. He still does. And that's where we need to come in. And that's where we do come in. And we say, get out of the house. Because he'll sit and look at his monitor, his computer, and he'll he'll sketch for like four hours straight. Well, I do that's yell at him to go outside. up to him. We have said nothing about that. That's why I haven't pushed piano so hard. Because I want it to be something for him. Exploration. Tell them how much him. money he 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 made selling his art. He sells his art like ten to twenty bucks a page, and he sold like five or six of them. No. Yeah. He sells them for like two dollars a page. He sells ten bucks. No, no, we're not gonna get him in here. That's been entire. That is so healthy for him to explore. Children that have no super, that, that are taught the boundaries, you teach them at first the boundaries, then you reinforce that rule by showing them the consequences. You don't yell at them. You also help them and you parent them according to kind of their personality and their, um, their characteristics. And then yeah. once they get older and they know those boundaries, you let them free. But you don't overschedule them. You can still have those extracurricular activities but like putting them into science camp and engineering camp and math camp and basketball and baseball try to keep them busy in the summer and to no, learn and make new friends they can be free leg. let him break his own leg i think that's, they can do both help him learn well not nick but kids learn their boundaries absolutely <laughs> so much let them get hurt but immediately swoop in and help them when don't make them feel dumb, but making them learn their boundaries, whether they're extreme or not. I mean, don't let them like climb on roofs and build huts and trees and like, but like what they do in the, in the field is super, super like developmentally important to a kid. Right. Cause they create like a little like tribe and they're like, we're going to build a make-believe house in the fall. And there's this huge field next to our house. It's uncultivated. It's it's city property. It's where the power lines are. But there's just junk there. And they explore. And we tell them, do not go past our site. Do not go into the ravine. And do not go, pick and up they've glass. Been is they've been, don't pick up glass. They've been, uh, 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 they've been like creating like a little hovel. They built like a little, like a little foundation. They've got mm -hmm. like a cooking pot and a chair. And it's, all the kids in the neighborhood do it. Nick gets involved and they bring big logs and they like they they um, separate their territory and their property. And it's amazing. It's amazing to watch them divide into into hierarchies. And if if you keep your children from that, I, I think it's detrimental. We're seeing it. I mean, kids are especially since the pandemic. That really that's what bothered me about the pandemic is we we forced everyone inside. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's it kept kids away from their peers and from them, you know, um, like creating little mini micro societies and hierarchies and then pushing the boundaries of each society. It's super duper important. Mm -hmm. so that, that's just my thought. And again, I ranted. We're what, 40 minutes into this. So 
We're going to talk about gender roles again, but that's okay. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time, guys. Thanks so much for joining us. You guys are awesome. And, uh, Thank you so kids, much for listening to Mom is Talking. Like, subscribe, and write a review on any of the sites that you are listening to this on. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much, and check out some of our other content. Join us in next episode. This is Andy and Evelyn signing out.